So this is the last Dhamma talk for those who are leaving tomorrow. And in this talk, I will address the topic of how to continue the metta practice in day-to-day -day life at home. And of course, there are many different possibilities, and I cannot talk about everything in this talk. So in the first part of this talk, I will offer some very basic reflections, basic guidelines um, that relate to integrating metta in our day-to-day -day life. And then in the second part, I'm going to talk about metta and sila, loving-kindness and virtue, talking about how they relate to each other and how to apply them in our life or how to manifest them in our life. And tomorrow morning during the closing ceremony, you will most likely hear some more advice of how to integrate the metta practice in your life. And I want to begin with a quote from the Buddha. He had said, better than offering 100 pots of rice three times a day is the practice of metta for one moment. And we must know that at the time of the Buddha, if somebody were able to offer 100 pots of rice three times a day, such a person must be a millionaire. But the Buddha said, better than that, if you just dwell one moment in pure metta, that's even better, more beneficial. And one moment was defined as the time it takes either to snip your finger or the time it takes to blink your eyes. Or, and I really like how down-to-earth the Buddha could be, taking examples from people's life, farmers. So one moment is the time it takes to pull the other of a cow. <laughs> so as I said, for some of you, this metta meditation retreat is coming to an end tomorrow. And so naturally, questions arise in connection with the practice of metta in day-to-day -day life. You know, the very basic question how can we continue to practice metta? Or how can we integrate the metta practice in our everyday life? Or what should we be careful of? So in this first part, I will offer some basic reflections that help integrate metta into our out-of-retreat life. So in regard to the metta, um, or two 
two aspects of metta, there are two questions. And one is, how can we be anchored in ourselves? Or how can we firmly stand on the ground? Or how can we be not shaken by external challenges? And then the second question in regard to the second aspect is, how can we become independent of what others think of us? So to the first question, how can we be anchored in ourselves? Or how can we firmly stand on the ground, not being shaken by any external uh, circumstances or challenges? And to this, the basic answer is with acceptance. The acceptance of things, situations, as they are. And this also includes to accept all the different aspects or characteristics, character traits in us, to accept our good and bad sides, to accept the, whole, the wholesome states and also the unwholesome states, to accept what feels light and bright, but also to accept what feels heavy and pulling down. Fully accept whatever feels pleasant, but also what feels unpleasant. And the acceptance of, of um, things as they are comes along or is based on a good understanding of impermanence, understanding of change, knowing that things do not last forever, and also a good understanding of karma and its effects, basically the law of cause and effect, uh, particularly in regard to our actions of body, speech, and mind. You know, we may, we may have this basic understanding of impermanence and karma either through practice, having practiced vipassana meditation, or maybe it's a more theoretical understanding of impermanence and karma and its effects. And so then in this regard, you know, can we accept and be kind to ourselves even if we are not as patient as we think we should be or we wish to be? Or can we accept and still be kind to ourselves, even if we get angry at our neighbor? Or can we accept and be kind to us, even if we are not as intelligent as our brother? 
Many people think or have the idea that first they need to be perfect before they can accept and be kind to themselves. And you know, to be perfect, whatever that means for the people. <clears throat> Very often, the wish or the desire or the expectation to be perfect or to be better or to be different drives many people through their life again and again. They always want to be somewhere else than where they are right now. So they want to be, for example, the perfect mother, or they want to be a better teacher, or they want to be the impeccable boss, or the successful student, or the perfect yogi. And this desire or this wish, expectation, of course, it creates stress and dissatisfaction. It also causes worry and uh, sadness. I would say very often people do not really live their life, but they are driven in their life, driven by their habitual reactions, by the habitual um, kilesas, the wanting, the not wanting, the attachment, the uh, jealousy, and so on. And very often people are also slaves of their unrealistic expectations and wishes. And so in this state, people are never good enough. They are always lacking something. And so they are always looking for something and usually looking for something out there. So if people, and of course, we are uh, included. So if we always reach out to get the acceptance or to get the praise or to get the love we so dearly want, then we are, we are bound to have problems. We are bound um, to suffer on account of that. So what we should do what we can do is really to accept ourselves just the way we are. To be kind to ourselves. To be really friendly with ourselves. And so, if we really can accept ourselves, if, if we can be friendly and kind to ourselves, then we do not constantly need to look for the kindness or the love out there. So the kindness or this, the meta-love we feel for ourselves makes us feel at ease. And then we are happy. We can be, we can be at ease or at peace with ourselves. 
And once we exp can experience that, this really feels like dropping a big burden. And the practice of metta meditation aims directly at this point to develop this quality of kindness and friendliness in our hearts, to develop it for ourselves and others. And the starting point of this practice is, as you know very well, to cultivate metta for ourselves. And this is done with the purpose to understand that really deep within our heart, our mind, we have this wish to be happy, to be well, to wish to be healthy, to be strong, to go through our lives smoothly, easily. And when we really see and understand it, that this wish is in us, deep down in the heart, then from this we come to understand that on this very basic level of the heart, the mind, other beings are not different from us. They too want to be happy. They too want to be free from suffering. They too want to be healthy and strong. So with the practice of metta meditation, we try to see other beings not in regard to the difference between us and them, but in regard to what is common between us. And this is why we start the practice of metta meditation with the cultivation of metta for ourselves. Renate Seifert is a German uh, meditation teacher. She's also a good friend of mine. And in one of her books, she has written, We begin the practice of metta with ourselves because if we are able to treat ourselves with more benevolence and consideration, then the chances are getting bigger that we will be able to do this as well with other fellow human beings. To love oneself is the base to love others. And of course, this refers to the kind of meta-love, this unconditional love, not expecting anything, neither from ourselves nor from others. Now, in regard to the second question that I put out at the beginning of this talk, that's the question, how can we be or how can we become independent of what others think of us? You know, we might realize that we are quite dependent on others for our self-esteem or for our feeling of worthiness. 
you know, who does not like to get approval and praise? I think we all do. And as we know from our experience, when we get praise, when we get approval from others, this makes us feel good. This makes us feel being a somebody. And definitely it increases our self-esteem or a feeling of worthiness. So if we could get this sense of being a somebody or to get this um, feeling of self-esteem from ourselves, then we would not need it from others. So then we would be independent from what others think of us or say about us. And so that means we do not need to reach out, reach out to others, but then we become independent. We become self-contained and self-reliant. Godwin Samaratne was a meditation teacher from Sri Lanka and he said, you know, we should, we should become our own best friend. He said, meditation of loving kindness is so important in the sense that you learn to be your own best friend. And if you can really make that connection with yourself, actually feel it, then I think your dependency on what others think of you becomes less. Because whatever you need from others, you get it from yourself. You will become self-contained within yourself. The transformation that happens through the practice of metta is quite amazing, sometimes unexpected, surprising. In the many years that I have been teaching metta meditation, I have heard from quite a number of meditators amazing and very heartening reports about their transformation and even about the transformation of other people. Three years ago, during the Metta retreat here, one meditator from Malaysia, she had said, when I radiate Metta for myself, I feel like I have fallen in love with myself. Indeed, we should all fall in love with ourselves, just in case it has not yet happened. And of course, the kind of meta-love. Or in a retreat in Australia, an Australian meditator said that her impatient and short-tempered husband gradually became more patient and more loving through her, the meditator's meta practice. This woman 
Uh, she did not tell her husband that she was practicing metta. You know, she was cultivating metta for herself, but also cultivating metta for her husband. But she noticed that also a transformation happened in him, her husband. And she said that at one point, actually her husband then said, you know, it's you uh, who go to the meditation retreats and to do the practice, but I also profit from it. Or here is an experience that a German meditator uh, related to me. She was an experienced meditator. She had been practicing vipassana and metta meditation for many, many years. And um, in her words, she said, I was a teacher at the high school in Stuttgart, in Germany. Quite often, the students arrived in the morning doped and drunk, and often <clears throat> they were late. This bunch of students was quite difficult. Then one day, I started to cultivate metta for myself on the way to school. I always walked to the school and it took me about half an hour. So in this way, I practiced metta meditation for myself every day for half an hour. After about six months, she had kind of a discussion round with the students and then one of the students said, you know, somehow you have changed. And the teacher wanted to know in what way. And the student said, you have become calmer and seem to be more at ease. And the meditator, the teacher said, I have to say that I experienced the students no longer as difficult as I had perceived them six months ago. You know, it might seem like just not a huge revolutionary transformation. It was a subtle transformation, but one that made a big difference, both for the teacher and the students. So when we are able to fall in love with ourselves, the metta-love, then we can dwell in kindness and friendliness with ourselves. This also means we fully accept ourselves just the way we are. Then we are fully at ease the way we are, including our shortcomings or faults. And so then we can be at peace 
at peace with ourselves, at peace with the difficult students, and also at peace with the world. In this state of unconditional love, metta, there we will be, be and become self-contained. Then there is no need to go and look out there for love or for praise or for approval. Then we do not need to get some kind of fake love from others. When I say fake love, I mean, you know, this love contaminated by desire or lust, attachment, expectations. During the last few days, in the interviews, some of you have reported that Gradually, you start to feel a sense of ease and contentment or a sense of peacefulness and open-heartedness that you have never experienced before. Or some of you have said that you finally uh, succeeded to cultivate metta for yourself. And so in this way, you have become your own best friend. Or at least uh, you, um, you can be on good terms with yourself. You know, isn't it a nice, pleasant experience when the heart is filled with friendliness, with kindness for yourself? What better could you wish for yourself? And what better gift could you give to the world? Here comes another story which illustrates the power of metta and how it deeply affects other people, how it can make their hearts melt. It's the story of Venerable Lokanatha. He was an Italian Buddhist monk, and in the 1940s, he walked all the way from Italy to India. And when he was walking through Turkey, he was um, attacked, surrounded by a group of robbers. They wanted his money, but then the monk, Venerable Lokanatha, said that he had no money. But of course, the man said this cannot be true and then insisted that he give them all their money. But the monk assured that he had none, saying that he was a religious person. And then the robbers said, well, if you don't hand us, if you do not hand us out your money, we are going to kill you. And the monk said that this was okay with him, but before killing him, they should please give him 10 minutes so he could say his final prayers. 
And Dorobos thought, okay, let him do that. So Venerable Lokanata sat on the ground and the man surrounded um, him. And what Venerable Lokanata did was he started to cultivate metta for the robbers, for, this, for his potential murderers. And the force of Venerable Lokanata's metta was so strong that the man started to soften, that their hearts started to melt. And then when the 10 minutes were up, Venerable Lokanata stood up and said that he had finished his prayers and that they could do with him what they wanted. But by then, the man said, oh well, we cannot kill you. You are a religious man. So please continue with your journey. And they let him go. We have also pointed out that when there is genuine and pure metta, then there is no fear. Fear being an aspect of dosa. And here is another story example to illustrate this fearlessness when the heart is just overflowing with metta kindness, friendliness. It's the story of a Tibetan Buddhist master. His name is Dujom Rinpoche. And at one time, he was in New York, giving teachings there. And one day, he was walking down a street. And a man came towards him and threatened him with a gun, directing it directly at Dujom Rinpoche's head. And Dujom Rinpoche, completely fearless, just looked straight into the eyes of this man, smiled at him, and bowed to him. And this guy was so confused that he simply dropped his gun and ran away. So to the degree that our metta becomes strong, powerful, and pervasive, you know, suffusing our whole being, the whole heart and mind, suffusing every cell in our body, to this degree, the fire of dosa becomes weaker and becomes less burning. So the power of metta is really able to weaken and destroy the burning fires of dosa. Bhikkhu Silachara, um, this monk has put it this way, he said, whoever practices metta becomes also a destroyer. 
a destroyer of the ugliest, the most unbeautiful thing there is in the world, namely hatred, enmity, ill will. And this is in line with what the Buddha had said in connection to dosa. As we know, the Buddha always encouraged people not to kill living beings, not to harm others. But one time when the Buddha was asked whose killing he approved, the Buddha answered that he approved the killing of dosa, any form of anger, ill will, hatred. So now, in this second part of the talk, I will talk about the common ground of metta and sila, the common ground of loving-kindness and virtue. In the Dhammapada, we have a verse from the Buddha which can be used as a summary of the whole teaching. It's to do good, to avoid evil, to purify one's heart and mind. This is the teaching of all the Buddhas. Very simple to do what is good, to avoid what is bad or evil or harmful, to purify the heart and the mind. So, the advice is very straightforward, simple, but then it's not so easy to put into practice. And also questions arise in regard, like what is meant to do good? What is meant by good? Or what is evil? What is bad? How can I avoid evil? Or what do I, do, what do I need to do to purify the heart and the mind? Or what is purification? What does this mean? <coughs> During his 45 years, when the Buddha was teaching, giving, giving advice to people, he taught many different approaches to put this simple instruction into practice. So some of these approaches are, for example, to follow the precepts, meaning to lead a virtuous life guided by ethical principles. Or he taught to cultivate the Brahma-viharas, metta, karuna, mudita, and upeka. Or the Buddha taught to practice generosity, to do dana. Or he taught uh, to cultivate the paramis, the perfections, qualities of the heart and mind that help this process of purification, you know, 
to perfect qualities of truthfulness or patience or effort or renunciation or metta being one of the paramis too. Or the Buddha advised to practice samatha meditation, deepening uh, one's concentration, training the mind to be one-pointed. Or he taught to practice vipassana meditation in order to really understand the nature of everything that exists, including our body and mind. So to come to an understanding that is in line with reality, you know, to penetrate into the absolute level of reality. And this understanding culminating in wisdom, in complete liberation. So among these many approaches that the Buddha taught and that I mentioned, of course, it, the list is not complete. I will pick two approaches and show how they overlap and how they complement each other and how they result or manifest as the same result on a very practical level. And these two approaches are metta and sila. Metta as loving-kindness, friendliness, Benevolence, sila, as virtue, virtuous conduct, morality. So most of the time, these two aspects of practice are dealt with separately. However, their practical aim is not really different. They both aim to become friendly, kind, loving, to have respect for other people, animals, uh, for other living beings. Sila, that's the party word for virtue, virtuous conduct, and it refers to actions of body and speech in relation to other beings, to people, animals, or whatever beings there are. And the Buddha defined virtuous conduct uh, in the following way. He said, wholesome bodily actions, wholesome verbal actions, and purification of livelihood. These are called wholesome habits. So, virtuous conduct, wholesome conduct, is behavior that does not hurt or harm anybody and that is also not harmful uh, for oneself. And virtuous conduct is actually based on a common sense. You know, in the same way, I do not want to be hurt or killed or harmed. I should not hurt and harm and kill other beings. 
Or in the same way, I do not want to be offended. I should not offend anybody else. Or in the same way that I want that others tell me the truth, I should always say what is true. Or in the same way, I do not want to be sexually abused. I should not sexually abuse or harm others. Just common sense. So basically, we should treat others in the way we want to be treated by others. Namely, with respect, friendly, honest, patient, accepting. But because many people live under the strong influence of the defilements, basically greed, hatred, uh, delusion, their actions are fueled on these uh, unwholesome mental states. And so we know then the result is devastating. Women are raped, ethnic minorities are cleansed, animals are killed, banks are robbed, drunken drivers cause fatal accidents, and so on. In all religions or spiritual traditions, we find guidelines of what constitutes a decent human behavior. You know, in Christianity, we have, for example, the Ten Commandments. And as you know, the Buddha proposed the five precepts for decent and virtuous behavior. And so by following these five precepts or ethical guidelines, then our actions of body and speech will not hurt or harm others and ourselves. So we see that sila, virtuous conduct, is both the basis and the result of our practice. So you know, initially, we may follow these precepts because we realize and understand that they are a skillful frame for our practice, for the purification of our heart and mind. But then later on in our practice, we, know we no longer need this outer frame. Then, because on our personal and direct understanding, we no longer want to engage in such harmful uh, behavior. Lama Anagarika Govinda was a German Buddhist monk, founder of the International Buddhist Union, and he put it this way. He said, for a Buddhist, virtue is the practical expression of his level of understanding. Virtue is not the cause, 
but the effect of our attitude. Sila, the practice of virtue, virtuous conduct, is a very important part of the whole practice of the purification of heart and mind. And this is reflected in the fact that Sila is part of the Eightfold Path. As you may know, among the eight factors of this path, three of these factors belong to the Sila group. They are right action, right speech, and right livelihood. So you know, already a little bit more than one-third of the Eightfold Path deals with Sila, our conduct, and out in the world. So really, a very, very important part of our practice. And the Buddha, I'm sure, uh, included the Sila aspect in the Eightfold Path because he so clearly liber- recognized that liberation, um, complete liberation, is not possible without virtuous behavior. And this is why he integrated this important aspect of our life into the path, into the practice of purification. And so with this, we should also understand that the practice of purification does not only consist of going to meditation retreats, it not only consists of formal practice at home, on the cushion, in your room, it not only consists of secluded practice out in the jungle or in a cave. We really have to include each aspect of our life into the practice. So as I said, sila or virtue is our behavior as we relate to other people to other living beings. Also, sila is a relational practice. And by being virtuous, we do not want to harm, we do not want to hurt others. Being virtuous, we want to help others, we want to assist others, we want to relieve their suffering. As I've mentioned in a previous talk, metta is also a relational practice because our metta practice deals with other people, with other beings. We wish them to be happy and well. So with a metta attitude, then our behavior, our actions of body and speech is one of not harming, of not uh, inflicting harm or suffering. As you know, metta can be expressed on three levels. The kaya kama metta, metta expressed by bodily actions, 
the Vajikama metta, metta expressed by speech, and the Manokama metta, the metta manifested in the mind as thoughts, as one's attitude. And in the course of a retreat, metta meditation retreat, we cultivate the quality of loving-kindness, of benevolence on the mental level. And as you know, this is very important because all the physical and verbal actions they spring from the mind. But as we have said again and again, the metta must also be manifested on the level of the body and on the level of speech. Then we can call it a bodily action infused by metta or speech infused with metta. So with this reflection on sila and metta, it has become obvious that both approaches aim at the respectful and non-harming behavior. The approaches of metta and sila are different, but on the practical level, the result is the same. Again, to summarize, the sila approach, you know, it uh, springs from the base. We do not want to hurt others and ourselves. And so with that, we don't, we see, we don't want to be hurt, so we don't want to hurt others. The metta, Approach is we understand, we realize that deep within we have this wish to be happy, uh, to be peaceful, and so we understand that others too want to be happy and peaceful. So we wish them to be happy and at ease. And so with that we do not hurt or harm them. So the sila approach is about not harming other living beings. And this is evident in the way the precepts are formulated. You know, in regard to panadipata, uh, it says, I undertake the precept to refrain from killing living beings. So explicitly, it is stated what I should not do, so to refrain from killing and harming. But on an implicit level, it means that I train myself to protect living beings, to protect them from being killed, from being harmed. And so this implicit aspect is nothing other than an aspect of metta, you know, an aspect, uh, an expression of kindness, 
of benevolence for all living beings. You know, this wish that they can live happily, the wish that they do not encounter any sufferings. Then in regard to metta, the metta approach is based on the heart's quality of loving-kindness, friendliness, unconditional love. And so when this quality is deeply rooted, deeply anchored in our heart and mind, we naturally refrain from all actions of body and speech that could harm other living beings, that could hurt them in any way. So with metta, it is the explicit wish that living beings be happy and well. And so on the implicit level, we do not do anything that could hurt or harm them. And so our behavior is of such a way that we do not add suffering that they can maintain their happiness and well-being or even uh, they can increase, that it increases their happiness and well-being. So in this way, we can come to see that sila is also an expression of metta, meaning our virtuous conduct is a manifestation, an expression of metta. And metta is also an expression of sila. So our kindness, our friendliness is an expression of our virtuous conduct. So in your life, in your day-to-day life, whether you lay stress on sila, your virtuous conduct, or whether you lay stress on metta, being friendly, kind, open-hearted, you know, the other practice is also included. When you make sure your conduct is virtuous, not hurting, harming others, this actually, then you're actually practicing metta. And when you lay stress on the cultivation of kindness, friendliness, benevolence, unconditional love, then your, virt- your conduct is also uh, virtuous. So to end this talk, I will quote Bhante Bodhidhamma. He is an English monk who has practiced uh, many years uh, also in Burma. And he has a little center in England. He kind of put it very simply by saying, love is wisdom that manifests in relationships. Love, of course, the kind of meta-love, love is wisdom. 
that, that manifests in relationships. I thank you for your kind listening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.